Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to episode 106 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill and I am back in the saddle, shall we say. Back in the seat, back in the dungeon, back in the bunker, all of those kind of things. Sitting behind the microphone here. And we shall rev up the engine and start once again on this journey via, well, this podcast medium. Um, I've been on tour. If you've been listening to the episodes before this, I can't imagine this is your first episode you're listening to. Well, then you will know that for um, a long time, I've been making podcasts about the music industry, about the future of the live music industry. The last few have been dealing with that as I sort of tried to pivot a little bit away from politics and that kind of thing. So um, we actually went and did the thing that I was complaining about not being able to do. So this podcast and probably the next one will be looking at some of that, dealing with some of the issues, some of the odd things that happened, some of the silly stories. Um, I'm going to try and make it a little part a little part, Rollins get in the van and is in a first-person narrative diary, if I can. Of course, minus the uh, youthful anger that possesses that book or that audio book, Get in the Van. I've been mentioning that a lot lately. Yeah, worth a listen, worth a listen. But Agitators Anonymous, episode 106. I'm Alan Averill, the singer in a heavy metal band, I suppose, trying to make sense of the things I do not understand. You can have that for a lyric if you want. Now, you can follow me over on Instagram, lemtheangle underscore primordial, primordial underscore official, to look at our hilarious and exciting misadventures. The show is continuously sponsored by MetalBlade.com. 40 years of MetalBlade history. You can find some Spotify playlists I've made in the description underneath this. Um, which you can go and check out some of the great albums from the 80s, um, some good, the great stuff that they're releasing now. And you can use the promo code ALAN in North America to get 10% off your order. If you're listening to this thinking, I would like 
to get involved somehow with the podcast. I have a uranium mining plant. I have a coltan mining plant. Um, I have, you know, some sort of um, crazy drink that's full of caffeine that I feel like I could do with now. Um, although you can probably hear my voice sounds a bit shredded, so maybe I do not need another diuretic. But my brain feels like I could do with something heavily caffeinated. So um, if you are creating something like that and want to get sponsorship by the, um, you know, want to sponsor the show, get in touch with me. Hit me up in slide into my DMs, as they say. So episode 106, back on the road again. So my tour, my tour ends with something of a history lesson. Um, hotel rooms and motorways, life out here is rough. Well, is a hotel room really that rough? Well, two weeks beforehand, um, I wake up in a hotel room in Germany, ready to begin our first tour in a few years. Um, but this morning, on my way home, I'm woken at the ungodly hour of 6am. Now, as a life band guy, 6am is a rather difficult proposition. Um, what happens at 6am? I don't know. I'm not sure I know the worth of it. But plenty of times I've had to drag myself to airports and all that kind of thing. But I'm in Stockholm, Sweden. And only about 50 hours previous to this, we'd been taken off the bus and strip searched on our way into liberal old Sweden. But I'll get to that. In fact, I might do, maybe I'll do a podcast about that and ask a few questions of my Swedish friends like, what the hell is going on around here? Anyway, I've asked the taxi driver, where are you from? Something apparently you aren't supposed to do anymore. They call it a microaggression, which is, of course, a nonsense concept. A microaggression of a question. I call it being interested in people. Cuba, he says. And for the next 45 minutes, he holds my early morning attention brilliantly. And damn, do I get a solid insight into not only the ridiculous notions about um, its society, a supposed country like Sweden has, but what the West lately has been dicing with. And that is the concept of freedom and liberty, my friends. Did you miss me? Well, our boy um, escaped Cuba in 1989. And oddly enough, he got off in Ireland. He got off the plane in Shannon when he finally escaped and thought about not getting back on, but kept going to Sweden. He shrugs his shoulders and wonders if he made the right decision and looks at me in the mirror. The Swedes are a bit cold, he declares. You don't make friends here, even in over 30 years. I give him a wry smile and, well, I can... I'm not going to say I agree, but certainly I do think that um, there is a sort of strange social segregation that can go on in the Scandinavian societies anyway. Certainly, as cold as our touring entourage was while we waited to be stripped and interrogated just a couple of days ago. But I will get to that. But I sense our troubles add up to little compared to fleeing a dictatorship. Um, or at least those troubles may not have been the same um, as they would have been in Ireland, maybe in, I suppose, Northern Ireland in the early 1970s, or the Republic um, 100, just over 100 years ago. But... You know, every country has its its moment of turbulence. And this seems to have been um, ongoing in a country like Cuba. So I get this great history lesson. Um, but I sense, as I said, our troubles add up to little compared to fleeing a dictatorship. 
Um, the problem is, in the West, you don't have enough worries. Life can be too easy. So the romantic notion of admiring a dictator like Castro without really understanding what's happening to the people is something that kind of comes easy to us. Um, che Guevara, he was too goddamn handsome, if you ask me, and that photo launched a million campus Marxists out into the void. He laughs. He laughs at my silliness. Like all revolutions, now we need a revolution against the revolution. I ask dumbly, how does he send money home? By wire, of course, by wire. But none of it reaches his family as money, merely as credit on the communist credit book the people use to buy vegetables and rice. I, you just get a little tick in a box and a number. And the government steals all the money. The government has let the countryside and farmland fallow as they gain more money from importing foreign subsidies, foreign sugar over their own, and spend none on the people. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? The roasting of the West goes on for another 45 minutes, all with that handsome smile and glint in the eye that follows many Latinos everywhere. They know how to talk the talk. We part ways. He shakes my hand vigorously. You play rock and roll. Yeah, I do. Filling it. Thin Lizzy, he shouts at me as I make my way to departures. I raise my fist, comrade. A Cuban smile to dazzle the pedestrians. And with that, the tour is over. With that, the tour is over. What a strange way to close the chapter on it must be my 20, 25th, 30th tour, maybe. Who knows? Could be even more. I can't really even count. Someone asked me in the backstage halfway through, how many gigs have you played? And I thought, wow, must be over a thousand. Um, surely? Don't call me surely. Um, I don't really don't know, but it takes days to decompress after a tour, possibly even weeks, because being the centre of this strange world within a world is, of course, intoxicating, but it breeds, it breeds purpose and a strange form of responsibility. By that I mean um, you're... In the, in the entire process of that evening really rests on your shoulders. This is a great responsibility for the people who are traveling, who are buying tickets. Sometimes people are flying in from other countries to hear the songs that you've played. And if you wake up in the morning, well, when I wake up in the morning, I start humming. And this, I can sound, this may sound really weird to you, but if I can hum, if I can go, um, I know, despite whatever sickness or whatever else, which is a very real thing on tour, which I will also get into, or even a hangover, or just being older and more knackered. Um, if I can hum, I know under whatever is happening with my body, there's a voice. I can sing to a percentage, to a degree. Um, and it's a, it's a kind of a great responsibility because you can be sick and still play the guitar, okay, and probably people won't notice, but drumming and singing are the two most physical things that if you are really sick, yeah, you know, you're going to notice these things. Anyway, this world within a world breeds an intoxicating sense of resp responsibility that at one stage I did not grasp with both hands, but we shall also get into that. But if I can hum, hum, like I said, I know that I can sing. But waking that first morning after a tour it feels like having been kicked by a horse or, well, hit by a runaway, a donkey, perhaps. Um, yeah, let's say that. You sleep for almost a day, everything kind of hurts, the muscles you haven't used ache, your brain pounds from two weeks of singing, shouting, talking, drinking, 
and the constant new terrain, new situations, something new to look at. It breaks the brain, especially if that brain has been used to two and a half, well, just over two years of lockdown and the stimulation that you've got is mostly at the other end of a screen. And now that stimulation is in real life. You remember real life, right? Then you stand in the supermarket, staring out the window while the cashier asks you, did you really want this two pound bag of brown rice? Really? You really want this one? Okay, I don't know. The health kick blues are strong. I suppose it's forced out by a little bit of guilt and you fill your cart with vegetables. I'll buy a smoothie maker and a steamer and I vow to now to stay off YouTube and read my book every day and go back to the gym. And then you found you've listened to four interviews with Douglas Murray within the first half a day you've got back. Whose new book I can heartily recommend. Instead, instead that evening, I go out and play football. I end up in a coughing fit at half time and walk around the pitch and I can feel that acrid alcohol sweat. But the intention was good, right? It's all about vitamin C. Or is that vitamin D? One or the other, anyway. But it's a very strange feeling. I think the word is discombobulated. And I know it's the reason why many people that I know come back and they can't give up the drink or the drugs or whatever else. And they tip out a line at noon the next day and they start, um, you know, tinkling the... Tinkling? That's not the right word. They pour themselves a vodka on the rocks and they get back to where they were a week ago. And it's very hard to stop, to get off the ride, so to speak. But it's something that you have to do or you will kind of go insane to readjust back to normality. And of course, I'm not complaining, of course, just explaining. And that's the nature of what the podcast is. But what do I do when I return from a tour? Well, usually I don't listen to music um, for a week, maybe even two. My ears feel completely shot. My brain feels done. Um, Maybe I can handle some Towns Van Zandt or some ambient music. Um, Oddly enough, Klaus Schulze from Tangerine Dream died the other day and I've been pulling out my old Cloud Schulze records which is sort of early to mid 70s proto electronic music a little bit sort of ambient strange um, stuff but I would recommend one called The Black Dance and my brain seemed to be able to handle that one just fine Um, but the last thing I tend to want to do is to hear heavy guitars or something with a bass end you just feel kind of worn out with noise worn out with that Um, And I kind of don't want to talk to people or hang out, but sort of do want to see people. Maybe just as an observer, an observer, to remember I'm more or less part of the regular human race on some level, but to be the social fly on the wall. As in, can I hang out with ye all and listen to ye talk, but not really pay attention um, and not really drink that much either? I mean, there's plenty of people who do that anyway, so maybe I need to become more like them. Um, I kind of don't want to talk to people or hang out, but just you sort of do want to see people. Like I said, as for the previous few weeks, you feel worn out with the chats. It can't be helped, and I don't mind it, but the more people recognize your worn out, craggy features when you step out of the backstage, you end up in a dozen different conversations at once that all kind of head for the same 30 seconds to two minutes mark. People want to take pictures or ask you about X or Y song, give you presents. Yes, indeed. Sometimes people give you presents, buy you a shot or the you or the you. Do you remember me from 2005 conversation? I mean, it's all good as far as I'm concerned. And it's what I complained during the podcast about missing. 
and that's no problem. But you have to be on top form to deal with so much overstimulation. And that's what it is. It's kind of overstimulation in the real world. And it's the overstimulation that sometimes can be harder to deal with than the responsibility of doing the proper show, as long as you are on top form. But for someone who lives on their own, who can, um, who can complain. And for the record, a shot of whiskey is fine, but Sambuca tastes like tinfoil. It's disgusting. Who the fuck drinks that? There's a lot to digest, to mull over, to figure out what you've lost. Of course, maybe, I'm just talking about now, even just leaving clothes, even leaving things, items you own, go, oh my God, where's that? Where's my speaker? I left it in the this or that cool jacket I found in the flea market across the road. Oh, I, I, bought, I found a bunch of records in... Um, you pick up mementos along the way on tour. Strange books, odd things. If there's a flea market around the corner, um, I came back with a whole bunch of old vinyls, but they were like 10 years after. Alice Cooper, Ted Nugent. I just left them on the bus. Now, some of you will say, proper order leaving Ted Nugent on the bus. Well, come on now. Cat scratch fever. Um, stranglehold. You've got to give it to the man. He had a few riffs. But... There's a lot to digest and mull over. You want to just sit on the couch and go back over the days and think about them. And that's what I suppose part of doing this podcast will help me to do. So bear with me as I kind of ramble through the days, slowly get through. I guess it'll be like a sort of kind of diary entry or, well, maybe it won't be. But you've got to figure out what you've lost. And that includes, I suppose, some shred of your dignity. Um, Of course, maybe that's dignity, as I said, or peace of mind, but also the random clothes, the random um, things you've left here and there. My Middle Eastern mate told me that wherever you leave your hat is where your home is. If that is true, then I have homes and venues all across the world. For a man with a fine fettle of hats, it's sobering to consider how many homes I have. Oh, no, that's about as cute as I'm going to get. Anyway, so let's get back to the beginning then. The Back to the beginning, day one. The 3 a.m. airport call to fly out um, on that first Friday leaves me cold um, so I decide to go one day earlier now please consider that I've still got the Rollins get in the van rolling around in my head so the desire to write this in or to speak this in that kind of style well as I said uh, is is still strong within me I had a lot less angry or whatever else but um, well a few little hints of anger but I don't have Greg Jin to encounter and I also had a narrow seat to sleep on for the whole thing a narrow seat on the bus, shall we say. So no punk squat speed sleepovers for me during this podcast. But if any of you have read my Dread Sovereign tour diaries in Death Forever magazine, you will have had enough of that. Although apparently I had my detractors in the comment section claiming I was condoning drug use. I see. Tell it to Lemmy. Tell it to fucking Lemmy. And if you sit around drinking beers every weekend or smoking and want to complain about drugs... Just consider what is legal or not, what is based on what your government can tax you um, or what your government can tell you is correct for your body. I would have thought, my body, my choice, right? Well, it seems Sweden doesn't think so and it's pretty anti-drugs. But like I said, I will get to that story, which is a very strange, strange story. So from one cool taxi driver back in time to a fucking asshole taxi driver. I arrive with almost 75 kilos of kilograms of bags. Is that right? Yeah. A lot. Backdrops, mics, stage clothes, all sorts of stuff. So you get in the first taxi you see, right? My guy is apoplectic that he's been queued up for an hour in order to only take me 1.4 kilometers to the hotel. 
I tell him, what am I supposed to do? Carry all the shit? He certainly doesn't help me either. Doesn't turn on the meter and then tries to rip me off, charging me over the odds. One full-blown argument later, I leave my brand new expensive glasses in his cab. I'm 200 euro down already before the evening is out. My last boy was from Cuba. My first boy, well, who knows? We were too busy arguing. But I'll tell you what. Shit comes in all hues, as the typo negative song says. And certainly this guy was a fucking pain in the ass. And assholes are everywhere, my friends. So I start off the whole tour in a sweaty, bad mood, having lost my um, brand new glasses. Now, there is a perfect example of white wine, as they call it. Uh, A middle class Western concern. I've lost my goddamn expensive glasses. It's clear when we get to Bochum for gig one that a disaster is about to unfold. Our merch is missing. Um, and anyone who is anyone to, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that merchandise these days is the lifeblood of really any tour, of any band, you know. You've heard me talk talk about the whatever it is, not point not 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 eight cents of a stream you get for every song on Spotify or how few um, remunerations come your way from streaming, etc., etc. So merch, well, for now, is the one thing you can't download. So to have no merch is a disaster. Someone, um, not us, has changed the delivery address on 11 boxes of merch, which, let's be clear, as I said, is is a band's financial lifeline. Someone who, over the course of the day, will not admit their mistake. But that is between me and the Oracle. But it, but it becomes clear that this, um, this mistake could cost us thousands and thousands and thousands. But shit runs downhill and, you know, you're going to have to bear with me for a minute. But what can a band do? And this is something that becomes clear over the course of the tour. The costs are shouldered by the artist, the band, us, everyone else in the post-pandemic world of no one really giving a shit, it feels like. Do not answer to anyone, shrug their shoulders and take their percentage. But I'll also get into that. So what should be a calm day of setting up, trying to settle into your, into spending the next two and a, and a bit weeks with people, getting to know them, clearing your head, is now spent chasing merch, calling people, trying to keep calm and under control when the anger is boiling to the surface, trying to get a hold of UPS drivers, customer services, which is, and I'm sure you've all experienced this in the post-pandemic world, non-existent anywhere in the post-pandemic world. Finding couriers, making sure that someone will open the fucking door, if someone else knocks on it and hand over a box, is it would seem a complex and almost impossible thing in 2022. And if said person can't be bothered, there ain't no repercussions. No one cares. Now, to just move aside for a little moment, I'm sure you've actually experienced this. And I think it's just part and parcel of the fact that during the pandemic, a lot of people got a very clear view into, oh, I think I prefer staying at home. I don't really want to go back to work. And I certainly don't want to go back to work for the wages I'm given now with the cost of living rising so high. So who gives a fuck about customer service? Who really gives a fuck about doing your job properly? Um, I get this very great sense, and I've used this word, it's not just inertia, but this feeling throughout society, society where... All of the middle management or structures or layers of responsibility are kind of fallen by the have kind of fallen by the wayside. No one is really that bothered. They don't really care if you don't get what you've paid for, or you don't get your box. In this case, boxes of merch. Yeah, big fucking deal. Who cares? Because you have no repercussions. 
there is no one to you know you cannot have anyone's head on a plate anymore you can't you, there's no one to shout at there's no one to even get through to on the phone um of course if people were you know um felt more worth in their jobs they wouldn't do them as badly as poorly i understand it you kind of wonder what am i working for what's the point etc well that's a rather existential it's a rather existential um, crisis, I suppose, that is, you know, rifling its way throughout society. Is it? Maybe it's not existential. Maybe it's very real, which, anyway. So day one, my friends, I am furious. I want someone's head on a plate. And just like if I fucked up on day one and arrived, let's say, wasted and couldn't sing, no one else would get paid. And I would answer for my mistake. But of course, as I said, everyone except one intrepid courier who actually goes into the UPS crate, finds half the boxes, carries them out personally and drives them to the venue after hours. Without this man, we would start our first two years with no merch, a disaster for any band, and all because someone decided to change, as I said, the delivery notice. Obviously feeling lazy that morning, like they didn't want to carry a few boxes that 50 yards they promised they would. And in the course of that decision, fuck the artist. Anyway, you know, the people without whom they would have no job. But the lady doth protest too much. Anyway, but of course, who wants to hear me complain about that? An entertaining podcast it does not make. A little like Father Ted when he wins the Golden Cleric Award. And this next section is dedicated to liars and blah, blah, blah. You know the one. You know what I mean. Incidentally, if any of you are Irish and are listening and want to go back and find a radio show, Father Ted, or a.k.a. also known as Dermot Morgan, did called Scrap Saturday on YouTube, should have a listen. It might not mean anything to you if you don't know anything about Irish politics, but it's a perfect skewering of the state and the cronies who ran it at the time. Um, I have a memory of recording Journey's End uh, in Bradford in the UK, in the old Academy Studios in 1997, and Chaz, the bass player of Salsas at the time, calling me up in the studio... Father Ted, he's fucking dead, man. He's fucking dead. I'm coming down. And Chaz came down with a big bag of cans and we commiserated together that day, drinking 45p cans of lager before ending up pissed as farts, headbanging to discharge in his room at Solstice Towers at about 8pm after being on the tins all day. Yeah. Anyway, Scrap Saturday. This next section is dedicated to... People who really, really fecked me over. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Day one. Day one is about getting to know the people you're going to spend the next few weeks with. And let's be clear about it. You're going to see someone every day, possibly for hours of every day. You're going to have to shuffle by them on the bus. You're going to have to um, smell them as they change their shoes. You're going to have to get up close and personal. You're going to have to help them with this and that and the other. So it really... Um, you're, 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 it's a really intense environment and the last thing the last thing you see before you go to bed um, as you're waiting in the tiny little corridor bit to get in and brush your teeth and the first person you get up in the morning to see will you wait for them to get out of the way to get down the stairs and outside um, so and when you think about this this is often more often often more often than you see your own family and po- possibly people you've known for years um, do I know Swallow the Sun? Not really. We met memorably outside a casino in Birmingham, England, after playing in Dudley's together with Primal Fear and the um, much underappreciated Martial Law, who have an album called Martial Law, 
um, if you can find a song called Under the Hammer, which I'll tell you what, I will put, I'm making a Spotify playlist at the end of every month called Songs for April, Songs for May or whatever. There'll be a martial law song on that. You can check it out. Anyway, um, where I drunkenly asked the singer, could I sing the chorus of Under the Hammer? I shouldn't really do that with this shredded voice, but however, um, Under the Hammer, in 2006 or 2007 maybe, um, a pissed primordial came across a pissed Birmingham a pissed well we came across a pissed Birmingham for sure Dudley's and JB um, came across a pissed swallow the sun and we I think we ventured into the casino together anyway but we never played much together since then some bands you repeatedly cross paths with others you happen to be on a different forest path same forest different path there's a reference for all you pagan metalers out there so you want to feel people out Make a few small jokes, a few small, some small talk. And somewhere about two or three hours before the show, I start to get super restless, walk in from room to room, take a brief look at the support band, stand at the side of the stage, open a beer, drink a few sips, leave it, walk off, forget where it was, make a coffee, I end up not drinking, fiddling with the stitching on stage clothes, more small talk, pacing from one room to the next, stand at the side of the stage, pour a glass of wine, it's genuinely the only thing that remotely calms me down. The bottle of booze stares at me, inviting me to hang out. Let's say, um, whiskey or whatever else. And once upon a time, I would have taken the invitation, but not really anymore. Well, not for well over a decade do I really do the heavy booze, and certainly not for a gig. Um, and this stems from a gig in Finland we did with Absu, maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And they sent down somebody from the local Finnish newspaper because we'd been in the charts to take pictures of us and the picture ended up being me flinging a punch at someone um, while stage diving off into the crowd and it said oh those crazy Irish still have the spirit of Shane McGowan the Finns loved it of course another country with a different social attitude to being drunk might not have but um, I drank I think a whole bottle of Jim Beam in about 10 minutes um, in the last 20 minutes of the set and just flung myself into the crowd to fight with some kid giving me the finger. Um, the whole night was just a cavalcade, and that's a good word, of destruction and being an asshole. And the next morning I came down, and Kieran, the guitar player, looked at me over his sausages, and he said, if you ever do that again, that is the end of this band. Um, and that really was the last time that that happened. So, being typically Irish, rather than getting sober, sober, um, wine just makes me a bit more agreeable. And it's a total Irish solution to the problem. Sure, I hardly drink anymore. Just a, just a few glasses of wine or just a bottle of wine. Sure, that's not really drinking, is it? It's made of grapes. Sure, it's practically, it's practically grape juice. It's just a fruit. It's a fruit juice. It's, it's one of my five essentials. Can't you see that? Yeah, of course you can. Anyway, it made me more agreeable, which considering how disagreeable I was before that, I think is a small act of mercy. Anyway. I don't really get nerves before playing, not like pit of the stomach nerves. I used to, but somewhere around 2006 or so, after the Gathering Wilderness album, I had to make a decision. Are you a singer or a hobbyist? Someone who drinks and parties and has to sing now and again? Um, or are you a singer? Are you going to do justice to the things you just recorded? So you have to step up to the plate and deliver without sounding all Tony Robbins or whatever. But of course, no one is perfect, as you will see as the diary, um, or whatever this is, unfolds, as a chest infection strings out my top, top range. But you have to have this inner belief. This is what I do, and I'm going to enjoy killing it. I'm going to relish the hard parts, not hide from them, and enjoy smashing them over the border. 
So that's kind of how I feel, of course, these days. Technical problems notwithstanding, like crappy monitor sound on stage. Um, what are monitors, I hear you ask? Well, if you're not a musician, monitors are... Well, what you hear in the crowd when you're standing is not what we hear. You each have a little wedge, I suppose. Imagine just your own little speaker in front of you, um, bass, guitar. And within that speaker, you hear whatever you want from everyone else on the stage. So for me at the front, at singing, I have two wedges which face upwards to me. Um, and I have that with like 80% only vocals. A little bit of bass drum, a little bit of snare. I don't need guitar. It's usually too loud either side of me. Um, and just only singing. So if you were to hear only what I heard on the stage, it would sound very, very strange to you. And also for the record, um, it really depends where you stand in the crowd as to how good a band is, um, <clears throat> how good a sound is. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to get a band perfect sound for wherever you stand in the, in the, in the venue. So if you're going to stand right at the front of the barrier, on the right-hand side, you're going to get a lot of that amp noise right in front of you. You're going to, um, it's going to distort your view of it. So really think about that. If you really love a band and you don't want to be at the front and jumping around or whatever you're doing, consider that the further f nearer to the stage you are, and if you're right on the stage, you hear our monitor sound quite loud. You hear our amp sound quite loud. If you want the perfect place, stand where the sound desk is. If you're going to stand, if you're going to sit, for example, in a balcony up at the top, you might be sitting in a sound trap or a bass trap where there is no bass. All these things. So think about that. Um, maybe if you're inclined to comment underneath the YouTube um, thing or you've seen the kind of thing, you know, the I mean, look, a YouTube comment section is like generally the sewer of the world, but the sound of the gig was terrible, blah, blah, blah. Where were you standing? Well, by the toilets, underneath this little balcony or blah, blah. Oh, okay, that's where all the bass gathers and or right at the front and blah, blah. Well, yeah, if you're going to stand right at the front and put your head over my monitor, the chances are you're going to hear what's in my monitor, which is just deafening singing. Anyway, so the monitors are what we hear, not what you hear out in the crowd. Um, people often ask me things like this and go, hey, can you explain some of those kind of things in the podcast? And I guess I just, you just sort of forget. You take it for granted that um, you understand, you know, that everyone understands these things. But how, how would everyone? How could they? Um, this was the tour that made me decide to get in-ear monitors, which is the little uh, speakers that, or well, the little headphones you put in your ears. Like, anybody wants to sponsor me and send me some, please, I would love it. Um, but very hard to get sponsorship from microphone companies because people need to buy microphones anyway. And um, my guitar is different because if you go and, you know, pick up the Dave Mustaine Jackson model or whatever, Flying V Jackson model, it's because you've been a big fan of Megadeth and you've been inspired by that. But everyone needs a microphone. So it doesn't really work like that, sadly. But if you're out there and you're thinking, God damn it, I could sponsor old Nem Thianga to squawk his way through a few songs, please slide into my DMs. So that's what monitors are. Anyway, so we're one of the a few bands who still, there are bands who um, literally only play with monitors and don't have any stage sound. Um, as in, they don't really turn the amps on. They don't really need to. They're, their amp sound is going straight into those little monitors. Anyway, we do, and we're noisy and we're loud. And you can hear from my voice that I've had to push it a bit too far because your vocal cords, of course, are part of your body. They're part of, it's like as if you've done, if you've done too much, let's say you're in the gym and you're doing too much lifting, you can pull that muscle in your arm and your arm is going to go, no, you can't do that. I did this recently with my elbow, um, an unexplained elbow injury. I must have banged it off something. 
And I don't do much cardio in the gym, or not cardio, much weights, or some, but my, my elbow was like, nah, mate, you're too old for this, you're not lifting that. So your voice is exactly the same in that sense. If you're tired, if you're dehydrated, especially all this kind of stuff, it will sound worse. Once upon a time, I met the singer of Virgin Steel, uh, David DeFice, one of my favorite bands. Well, they used to be. The album Invictus from the 19, 1988 is one of the greatest heavy metal band records ever made, in my opinion. I will put a song of that on my monthly playlist as well. But um, I met him after staying out all night at Vakken in 1998 fell asleep on this, uh, you know, on a subway platform and all sorts of arrived back to the hotel covered in dirt just as they were having their breakfast. And I said, oh, how do you keep your voice? And he just looked at me and said, well, well, man, you don't do this, which is pointing at me covered in dirt, having stayed out all night. And he had a point. He had a point. You, you know, all these things. I mean, not only is alcohol a depressant, but it's also a diuretic. Um, you know, when your body tries to recover, to kick back from that. Um, everything, you know, all these things are diuretics. They they dry you out and they dry out your vocal cords. So anyway, God damn it, we're only at day one. Um, point is, this is the only day that there is any mention of COVID. The venue are the only one that has any rules for the whole tour. In fact, the only place that even it's even mentioned. As I know, a lot of people will be wondering about that. There's a testing center outside. In fact, the venue is being used as a test center. So this kind of makes sense. A dirty, windswept tent. Um, and I will leave... I will not comment. Anyway, anyway. So, day one is the only day of a mention of COVID. Um, this is the venue, the only venue that has any rules for the whole tour. As I said, that it was being used as a test center outside a dirty, windswept tent. And I think... Um, all you really need to know is that the people working in the tent administering antigen tests, it would seem for five euro to anyone who wanted to come in. I uh, Well, I think I saw them carrying crates of beer downstairs in the afternoon. Do you get me? Anyway, and anyone who has read the redacted Pfizer notes or internal memo about their profit margins or who can be bothered to understand what's happening or update their opinions with new info can clearly see... Follow the money, my friends. Follow the money. That's what it was all about. Anyway, tests for all who enter. Tests for all who enter. The gig, on the other hand, goes great. We sound tight and together. And that feeling of relief is like no other really on earth. Well, almost. Almost. It's hard to describe, but that first drop of the stone in the water is writing the songs. And then the ripples move outwards. Um, they move out from you bring that riff into the rehearsal room it forms as a song eventually you get to the studio could be another country could be another county could be anywhere with a new producer with an engineer gets recorded gets sent to the record label it gets pressed there's artwork there's an aesthetic it goes to the shops you might pick it up in the shop you might buy it on the mail order you might just stream it whatever else that from that one idea, which is the creation of that riff or that formation of notes in your head, the stone drops in the water. I just dropped a stone there, which of course is a very handy action in a podcast. But and the ripples move out and they hit the shore. And that shore is that moment when you play it live in a venue. And that feeling, the ripples that move out to that right. And this is when I say in the heathen tribes, this is my church, in a sense, which is about 
that moment, this communion of live music together, which is what I've been talking about during the podcast for the last two, two and a bit years, it's an incredible process. I'm not going to say magical, but when you take a moment to consider it, that an idea from a formation of notes of dun, 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 whatever, and you pick up that old guitar in the corner, and it ends up in a room with 500 people waiting on those notes, waiting on those notes. I'm only at day one, but it is quite an incredible thing. And that process, um, I'll be honest with you, a lot of people say to me, oh, do you ever get time to reflect on these things? And the answer is yes. Do you get time to enjoy that process? And the answer is, again, there's moments on the stage where you just look out and you feel you s the sense of like, this is what we have achieved, what I have done, how your movement of creation ends in this place right here, right now. Um, it could be a new song, could be a song from 25 years ago, and you see what it means to people, etc. I'm gushing a little bit now, but you understand what I mean. It's a very, very, it's an incredible process when you really think about it, because it's an intangible, it's a sound. Um, of course, you are the physical corporeality of that sound because you're embodying it, standing there in front of people and they're looking at you and you're looking at them, etc. But it's still a sound. Anyway, however, I'm still just on day one. I have a feeling this is going to take up the next podcast as well. But the feeling of relief of having got that first show out of the, out of the gate. You're, you're here, you're there. The band is t sounding tight and heavy. Everything's working. Everyone is okay, apart from the missing merch, which, you know, of course, has repercussions and will have repercussions for all of us personally over the next few months when we maybe find the rent hard to find in two or three months and we go, oh, yeah, that was because of that mistake on day one that no one ever answered for. Anyway, the feeling of sleeping on a tour bus. Now, I've done the van, but the sleeping on the floors, I've done the Rollins stuff, but a tour bus is different. It's very kind of strange. You get a small coffin with a tiny curtain to pull where you live for the next few weeks. The motion of the bus will either send you to sleep or give you a weird kind of motion sickness. Where for days after the tour, you feel unsteady on your feet, like you've emerged from the bowels of a ship. Personally, of course, it gives me a form of nausea that takes a while to clear. Every day, every day, it takes me about an hour or two hours to wake up, to get caffeinated, to sit I'm on the toilet or to um, have a cold shower, try and wake myself up. And there's always somebody when you come out of the bus bleary-eyed who goes, oh, can we take a photo? And you go, dude, please give me an hour to put my makeup on and fix my face, sir. Um, but it's a strange nausea, like a fog, a clutter. It's hardly surprising to you all um, that my brain works like that. Some people are out. Um, they're out like lights. They sleep like babies. No, I can. I know I can hear them snoring over the noise of the bus engine. But others, like yours truly, stare at the coffin lid for hours before heading to the land of Nod. The land of Nod. That's a very strange phrase, isn't it? Um, Nod is in Israel, right? It's a mountain range, I think. Or, I think so. Where did that saying come from? Obviously, to nod off. Do we have any etymologists out there? Or... Is that entomologists? I always mix those up. Entomologists is insects. Etymologists is language. Anyway, on that cliffhanger of a question, I will end chapter one or podcast one of the tour report. As you can see, I've only got to day one. This might take quite a while. But 
We're clicking through the gears. Agitators Anonymous, episode 106, my friends. I'm Alan Averill. Over and out until next Tuesday, where there will be some more music podcasting coming your way. Share the podcast with somebody you think you might enjoy it. Rate it. Whatever else you want to do, but... Well, let's keep on keeping on, as after all, we don't know anything else. All right, my friends, over and out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.